Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to advance in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and Monique Marquez, senior corporate leader, ex-Googler, and diversity expert. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Nikki, your host for today's episode. Let's say you've got a great idea that you really believe in, but you've got no clue where to start. What would you do? Would you figure out a way or feel stuck and do nothing? Meet Marilee Kick, CEO and founder of Buzzballs and Southern Champion. Marilee was a school teacher who had this light bulb idea while she was grading papers by her pool. But rather than just sit on that idea, Marilee set off on researching how to bring that idea to life. Nine months later, Marilee launched Buzzballs and Southern Champion, becoming the only woman-owned distillery, winery, brewery combination in the United States. Marilee has won numerous awards and recognitions for her successes. She's a winner of the Dallas Business Journal's Most Admired CEO Award, the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award Southwest, EY's Winning Women Award, winner of the Enterprising Women's Award, winner of the Top Women in Grocery Award, and winner of WPO's Fastest Companies Award. In this episode, Marilee shares her entrepreneurial journey and the lessons she's learned in building her business. She also shares advice on the best ways to get unstuck, how to unlock your motivation and bring your ideas to life. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com. We'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Marilee. Hi, Marilee. So great to have you. Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. I appreciate it. Uh, this is going to be a super fun conversation because you are a pioneer and a maverick, and I can't wait for our audience to get to know you and learn from you because I have learned so much from you over the years, and I'm excited to uh, got, dive right into your story and all of the things that you've uh, you know navigated through and the lessons you've learned that you can share with our audience. So let's jump right in. So first off, um, let's start with your sort of founding story, if you will. You were a school teacher and Plano, correct? Right. And um, so tell us about how did you go from being a teacher to transitioning into entrepreneurship? Well, it was about 12 years ago and my school came to me. I was a high school teacher in Plano, Texas, and school came to me and said they'd pay for my MBA if I wanted to go get it. And I was like, yeah, I want my MBA. If you're paying, I'll go get it. So Got my MBA and I was grading papers by the pool and came up with this idea. I was having a cocktail grading papers by the pool, just more specifically. <laughs> um, but um, I thought what it was, it was back in 2008, 2009. And I was trying to think, um, you know, because that was kind of in the middle of a recession, um, what survives in good times and bad and mm. what makes money, what kind of businesses make money. And I was getting this MBA and had to do a master's degree thesis project. And so um, I had this little round votive candle from Sweden next to me. And I thought, it'd be cool to make a little alcoholic party ball. And so I came up with this concept of a ready-to-drink cocktail that was single serve. You didn't have to buy a four-pack or a six-pack. Um, you could mix and match the flavors, buy it by the ball. And I wanted to make this round cocktail ball. Um, I didn't know how, and I didn't have any experience, and I didn't know what I was doing, but it was my idea. You know, and so I, the more I started researching it, 
and getting into it, I figured out how to do it and drew the design and got the patent, got the mold, you know, did everything. And then I got my permits to actually go for it and do it. So that was the start of my company, Buzz Balls. So what I do is I make alcoholic beverages um, and namely Buzz Balls, which are little cocktails in a round ball shaped mm-hmm. container. Um, but I also make all kinds of other things too, like rum and gin and bourbon and vodka. Um, and then I make ready to drink cocktails in bottles, you know, that sell at grocery stores. So wow. um, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. I mean, and now, you know, I, one thing that's really funny is I didn't know I was making history by doing it. I'm the only woman owned distillery, winery, brewery combo in the whole United States. Wow. Yeah. Didn't know that. <laughs> making history. That is incredible. <laughs> and all of that started from an idea in yeah. business school. So w- tracing back to when you first thought of that, when you looked at that votive candle and said, you know, you want to make a uh, beverage in that shape, from there to actually uh, sort of making it real and launching it, how long was that time period? Um, nine months. Wow. Yeah, that- like the baby, you know, so that was... <laughs> It was from the time I launched it um, or, you know, came up with the concept to getting all the permits and federal and state requirements um, completed mm-hmm. and getting uh, rent on a warehouse because you can't do this stuff in your house. Um, so I had to have a physical warehouse space and had to go through all the legal compliance. It was very complicated um, and then had to have tanks and machinery and all that kind of stuff and had to sell the product to somebody so I could get a small SBA loan. Um, so that whole process, you know, I schmoozed my way through it and uh, got it done in nine months. Usually wow. it took people like 18. So I was, right. was going to say that seems yeah. uh, extremely fast because um, it's not just about the number of things that need to get done. It's actually the hesitation and self-doubt and it, the complexity. No, no, no hesitation or self-doubt. It was the waiting on other people to get back to me. Right. You know, how right. long does it take to get State Farm to give me a bond or how long does it take for the federal alcohol tobacco track tax and trade bureau to get back to me with a permit you know did Mm -hmm. i do it right you know so Mm -hmm. get to it in their own time right so you know we hear from our audience and and many of the cohort members that we work with that even when they have a vision and they have this idea you know what holds them back is the tyranny of the how i don't know how to do it and i'm afraid to even embark on it and i started taking those first steps and things got too complicated and i'm afraid i'm going to fail what advice would you give to someone who's caught in that and just stuck you know where they're not moving forward towards it i would think they aren't entrepreneurs if they get stuck in that because Mm -hmm. an entrepreneur is a little more fearless Um, they dig, they do research and they're like a charging bull, you know, and it's not like, um, they don't like to follow rules, but they will Google things to death and figure out how something's done. But, you know, I think that if you, if you get stuck or need motivation or need, you know, things like that, either you aren't researching enough, you need to go out there and dig and you need to ask the people that are involved in that, go take a tour of their facility, go ask for advice. Mm. You know, people love to give advice, you know, so ask them, you know, and a lot of times, you know, I get, I get people from all over probably once a week, somebody saying, 
I want to get into the ready to drink cocktail space. I want you to teach me how to compete with you at your business. You know, <laughs> ironic, but yeah, I get yeah. that. Yeah. So um, the other big obstacle often tends to be funding uh, or just even knowing how to bootstrap that initial stage. How did you go about doing that? I because found especially in. Okay. Yeah. You find a customer, you create the item if it's a customer product, a consumer product. And then you show it around. You create a sell sheet of what it looks like and how many colors does it come in and how big is it and how much does it weigh and how are you going to pack it and and how do you display it? Who's the mm-hmm. competitive set? How much are you going to charge for it? You know, you create this sell sheet that basically you take out to your uh, prospective buyers and say, here's what I got. Here's some samples. Try it out. Mm-hmm. You know, once you get some nibbles and figure out who your buyer's going to be and you get a contract or an offer or a purchase order, that's when you go to the bank mm. and you say, I have a buyer. This is going to sell. And it's not like my friend's mom is going to buy this or my brother's friend is going to buy this. It's it's a real qualified buyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, getting into retail distribution is very, very challenging. Um, you know, uh, it can be a barrier for a lot of people to get into, but it hasn't, you know, stopped you. So what has worked for you in that? And how did you again, navigate through some of those, um, barriers? Well, you start with the independent stores first, Mm. you know, not the big chain stores. You don't go hit Walmart right off the bat, you know, or something like that. You go to somebody that's not a chain. Mm-hmm. You build a reputation in the independent market with the mom and pop stores, with the person that you personally talk to, and they they have a network. They talk, you know. So, you know, Bill at this store knows Sam at that store, and they talk. Mm. They compare prices, you know. So get get your feet wet in the independent market first. Fix all your problems, and then later you can hire somebody that has that network into the chain market. Um, and But you have to have proven success. And you have mm-hmm. to have, if, if it's a consumer product, you have to be charting on Nielsen before, you know, people really take you seriously. They want to see that your, you know, your market share is huge or, you know, that they're crazy if they don't bring it in type mm-hmm. of thing. But um, some things you can do too is attend trade shows to um, get more uh, customers you can also send out those sell sheets that I was telling you about hmm. to, to start. You can send that, send out a mailer to every single retail store in the area, in your territory, lick and stamp letters and send those out because you can't personally go to all these places, right. but you know, they'll go to their distributor and say, what is this? I got this in the mail. You know, mm-hmm. I'm interested in this. So you can kind of grow it that way too. So one of the things that really stands out about Buzzballs is that um, it it's not just about the beverage, it's the brand, which is so distinctive. And, um, you know, it's uh, it seems like the most um, unique quality of it that whether you walk into a store or see online, I mean, to me, it's just an incredibly powerful brand. And um, tell me more about your vision of how the brand was developed beyond the product. Well, um, I used to teach marketing and entrepreneurship and those kinds Mm -hmm. of things in high school. Um, So I love marketing. Um, I wanted to create a brand that 
sounded and looked like what it is. So buzz mm -hmm. ball, you know, it's shaped like a ball, mm -hmm. you know, so I wanted something that looked like a ball so you'd remember it. And it's in the alcohol space. So buzz kind of comes mm -hmm. naturally. But I wanted something that was cool looking. It's an iconic shape. Mm -hmm. And it's not easily replicated, you know, so there's a million truly cans or white claw cans or Bacardi Coke cans, you know, there's a million, everybody's got a can of some sort and you just become another can on the shelf, mm -hmm. you know, but when you see a buzz ball, you know mm -hmm. what it is. When you see a buzz ball biggie, you know, a giant bowling ball sized ball, you know what it is, you right. know, because it, it makes sense, you yeah. know, so, um, I think, you know, when you think of marketing, you think of, you know, what is the brand? Where will I sell it? What channel? Mm -hmm. You know, is it convenience stores, grocery stores, liquor stores? Is it duty-free, you know, cruise ships, on-premise, you know, in bars and restaurants and movie theaters, casinos? You know, where are you selling? And mm -hmm. then what's your price point? And who's your target customer? Who do you think is your target customer? And a lot of times you don't know your target customer after you started selling it and seeing who's mm -hmm. buying it you know right. you might think your customer's x but it's really y you know right. what was the biggest surprise for you as you were uncovering things during you know this entire journey were there some things that sort of were different from my original hypothesis that turned out to be a great surprise i think um most of my surprises are people surprises mm. um along my journey, um, you know, people that I've trusted that couldn't be trusted, um, you know, issues like that, or, you know, just people that let you down, you know, mm -hmm. uh, those kinds of things. The other thing I've learned is that um, I'm different. I'm, I'm just different than other people on my staff and other people many times that I meet, you know, like, the the other mothers of my children, you know, just mm -hmm. family friends, you know, I'm different. Mm -hmm. um, I have this enormous drive. I expect perfection. I am a digger. I will go research things. I will make something happen. I will visualize it. I will see it. I will dream it. And then I'll go execute that. And it's like, I don't stop. I, it's not like I need encouragement to go do it. It's just exciting for me. Right. Um, but a lot of people don't have that drive. And, um, you know, I ask them, what do they want to do with their life? And, and they're happy doing nothing. You know, <laughs> some of them are just happy playing golf or happy, right. you know, or raising kids or, you know, all those things are great and, and worthwhile. It's just, you know, what gives me a personal buzz mm -hmm. is, you know, achievement and mm -hmm. it's exciting and it's legacy and, you know, all those things. So you, you mentioned, you know, the word different and, and how has that played out for you on a personal level? Yes, you're different from a lot of people around you, especially maybe a lot of women around you, but what has been the personal implication perhaps and how you yeah. sort of dealt with that emotionally? Well, when I used to work for someone else, being different wasn't cool because when I was different, I was, you know, bossy. I was a bitch. I was, you know, all kinds of things that they called me. Um, I was, um, annoying, you know, I'm sure, you know, I talked too much or I, uh, pushed too hard or I, um, I aggravated somebody because they didn't like the way I approached something or I was too direct or, you know, things like that. 
So when you work for someone else and you have this kind of personality, it's mm-hmm. easy to steamroll people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're the boss and you steamroll people, you get shit done, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. there's like, it depends on which camp you're in, whether, right. you know, how hard you tread. Right. Uh, so yeah. personally, you know, and at home, you know, I'm the boss of everything at home and I'm the boss of my family and, and my son sometimes, because we're a family owned business, you know, sometimes my sons have to say, you know, mom, you're not the boss over here right now. <laughs> I just need help with my washer. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, do it this way. Check that. Yeah. You know? That's fascinating. Why well, I get similar feedback. So I can relate to that. Um, so, uh, you know, being a family owned business is, um, you know, has so much um, beauty in it because it, it's such a great way to contribute t- towards something and to build something together, deepens the ties, but can also become the most dominant theme, you know, at home, over dinner, at holidays and all of that. Um, what has helped you all find perhaps like how do you, you know, translate the relationship in the workplace to home? Because in your case, um, it's your husband, your kids, everyone's involved, right? Yeah, we do end up talking work, you know, quite a bit. Um, but I think we're just such good friends in general. We like each other, genuinely like and love each other that um, it's not bad. You know, sometimes we have to say, okay, okay, I just don't want to talk about work right now. But, but normally we have common goals, common interests, and, and we solve problems that way. Um, yeah. Like I could be like two doors down from my husband and really not see him all day long because mm-hmm. he's the CFO and he's out doing what he does. I'm out doing what I do. Mm-hmm. And Alex is the, the president and Andrew's working on operations. And, you know, I mean, Jordan's in procurement and, you know, I'm just, we're all doing our thing to the best of our ability to help grow this company. Yeah. And, and, you know, our staff is part of our family too. You know, we mm-hmm. treat them like family as well, you yeah. know? So, so you, you mentioned something a little earlier about the biggest surprises, um, have been with people, um, including the ones that were, you know, a, a disappointment or, you know, uh, setbacks in that case, it's a common theme I hear from so many of my entrepreneur friends, uh, throughout the journey. It's the people aspect becomes the most complex, um, and challenging one to deal with. Um, what has been sort of, um, what guidance would you give, especially for early stage entrepreneurs that are building their teams, maybe building partnerships with co-founders and so forth? What guidance would you give in terms of navigating through those relationships, but also dealing with expected things like you hire someone and it doesn't turn out the way it is and you get blasted online and things like that? Share a little bit maybe about your experience and what principles have you learned from that? Um, I think the key experience that everybody has is to trust their instinct. If they think something's wrong, it is wrong. You may not know why it's wrong, mm-hmm. but trust your instinct mm-hmm. on that. Trust your gut because um, 99% of the time it's right. You know, it's kind of like a boyfriend and girlfriend who can't get along and something's wrong, but he's lying about whatever, but you keep trying and keep trying and keep trying and you're just treading water and getting nowhere, you yeah. know? So um, trust your instinct with people. I had a guy that worked for me that was, um, 
over my operations. He was a great guy. I loved this guy to death. So happy he came to work for me. Worked for me for about six months and um, asked for ownership in my business as well. Um, and my son and I discussed it. You know, it's a family owned company. So it was a big deal to give somebody a percent of our business. And we thought this guy could possibly help us, you know, launch, you know, into a bigger company. Um, we offered him a partial share of, of our company. He came back and said, thank you very much, but I'm, I'm resigning actually. Um, want to stay home, take care of my family. My kids are only little once. And I found out two months later, he was working for my competition. Um, and, you know, he had also stocked up on um, trying to make a knockoff buzzball. And so he had copied all my formulas. He had copied all of my permits. So he went to the school of Lee to learn how to do it so he could do it on his own and copy me and knock me off. Um, so I named a brand after him called Crooked Fox. It's a <laughs> bourbon. Um, so it, it was kind of a lesson learned for me, you know, trust your own instincts. When you think something's wrong, it is wrong. The other thing I learned is to cut bait quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you hire somebody and they're a deadbeat, mm-hmm. um, and they just don't seem to be getting anything done, you need to let them go or you need to talk to them, you know, but if they don't get better, you can't keep holding on to bad people. You know, you have to cut bait. Because what happens is it disgruntles all the other people that are good and they they just hate working there all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, I had one guy that worked for me I knew for 20 years, but he was an alcoholic and he would take a nap under his desk um, at work or we'd find him on a couch somewhere in his car. You know, I mean, he just was like on drugs and an alcoholic, you know, and we didn't know. We were like, where is he? Where is he? Come to find out, that's where he was. We had to let him go. We also had people, we call them lovable losers. You know, people that, you know, everybody loves them. They talk to everybody. They're very socially out there. Everybody loves them, but they don't get anything done, you know? So those are the ones you have to put on a strict plan and say, okay, here's your performance indicators. And and if you don't hit these, I'm sorry, you have to go. We love you, but we got to go. <laughs> yeah, it's a fine balance between believing in someone's potential and their desire to achieve something versus their ability to do so. And, you know, as a founder, especially, that's a, it's a big bet to make. Um, but there's only so far you can go with that. And, and don't hire friends if you can help it. You know, <laughs> that's another lesson. You hire friends when you start out because you don't know anybody. Um, but it's really hard because friends feel entitled. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, it's hard to discipline them when they're your best friend that you go to dinner with on Saturday night. So, <laughs> right. What are some of the most important traits that you look for when you're uh, looking to hire some non-negotiables in you? Culture fit. You know, um, I think if they have the aptitude to do the job mm-hmm. and uh, the desire to do the job, do they have the culture fit? You know. Mm-hmm. Do they look, walk, smell, taste like our child? You know, yeah. <laughs> you know that kind of thing. Um, it's kind of like, do they fit into our personality or are they going to be weird? What if you could pinpoint the invisible ceilings limiting your success? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers so you can take action and gain unstoppable momentum to advance as a future-ready leader. Well, That's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz will help you discover. 
you'll get your personalized score based on the 25 essential elements proven to accelerate success in the digital age so you can understand what's holding you back and where to focus your efforts. The Beyond Barriers quiz is completely free and takes just a few minutes. Go to imbeyondbarriers.com slash quiz and take the quiz today. Now, given the nature of your business and both being high growth as well as, um, you know, dealing with regulatory requirements and such, you're responsible for very high stakes decisions, um, both financially and liability wise and so forth. How do you, when you're faced with a really complex or high impact decision, what's your process? How do you go about it? It depends on what it is. You know, if I'm purchasing really expensive machinery, or if I'm buying a new real estate building, or uh, if I'm doing R&D on a new product, you know, like, so I guess it, I would have to push back on that and go, what kind of question is it, you know, right. that I'm solving? Right. Well, I mean, more in terms of the mental framework rather than about that specific decision. I, you know, I make a list of all the attributes of whatever it is I'm trying to do, you know, mm-hmm. so I'll make a list, I'll go research, I'll figure out, you know, I'll compare and contrast. And, um, you know, if it's something brand new that hasn't been developed before, then I will talk about the attributes that I wish it to have, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I definitely visualize things in my head. Mm. Um, and then I play out what ifs, you know, like what if this broke or what if that happened or what if, a, you know, just follow it all the way through from start to finish, visualize it. Mm. And then when you get to the end, to the regulatory piece or other things, you know, it's like, well, what do we have to do to make this a reality? You know, so. Right. Now, one of the, um, things that distinguishes um, your business is not only is it a super edgy brand and a very cool company that's been high growth, but it's totally family owned. And when you look at sort of the business landscape and all of the media, all of the conversations about all these VC funded companies that have raised a ton of money and are, you know, all the unicorns and all of that. Um, what is your perspective on maybe an early stage entrepreneur that's trying to figure out, do I go this route or do I go that route? Um, what have you discovered in what has worked for you and, you know, when and if you would even consider um, funding? Um, well, I've got enough eggs in my basket that I need to worry about. But um, in terms of, you know, accepting private equity money or venture capital money, just keep in mind that that's really expensive money mm-hmm. and they're going to want a big percent or they're going to want to flip it in a few years or they're going to want their money back times five, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's a big choice, a strategy choice that you have to decide. Now, personally, I don't like debt. I'm very debt averse. I have no debt in my business. Now, could I take debt? Of course. And everybody wants to give me debt, mm-hmm. um, you know, to take out loans from a bank. Um, you know, give me lines of credit, um, you know, all of those types of things, because that's how they make money. But the cheapest form of capital is, you know, your own funds. And then the next cheapest is go get a loan from the bank. Um, Mm -hmm. And then one of the more expensive choices is private equity or venture capital funding, you know, because they're going to own your company. Yeah. Um, What has been the best part of building this, um, you know, 
completely by yourself and like the lessons you've learned in terms of, uh, you know, it's your baby all the way through. I love it. You know, I love coming to work every day. I love knowing that I employ 250 people. You know, I love that uh, we're family focused. I mean, even when COVID hit, um, you know, we were all scared. We just kept Mm -hmm. up communication. We weren't sure we were an essential business. We made hand sanitizer for all the first responders. And then we started a little kid school for remote learning. We hired a Texas education agency teacher and an aide and started um, our little remote school here at work for our employees so that their kids could come to work with them, you know, because my employees can't stay home and and work from home. Um, So, yeah, you know, um, I, you know, I just think that, you know, it, it gives me a lot of satisfaction to to own this company and to have the creative license to go out there and make and build things. That's the fun part of it mm-hmm. for me. Running the business itself, you know, doing the taxes, keeping up with the bills, that kind of stuff, doing HR management, that's not fun for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs sell, actually. Because, you know, it becomes boring and mundane, you know, once the excitement's gone and there's no new stuff, you know, it's just routine. That's when they jump to the next project, you know. So um, if there's not enough of that, you know, in your business, then either you need to rebuild it or, or, uh, or cut bait again. Right. Well, most founders are visionaries. So the excitement of what's ahead, what's in the future and yeah. going towards that is the joy versus just the, you know, ongoing management of that, which is why having a great team makes a huge difference that is able to do that. So For speaking sure. of vision and the future, um, you uh, are someone who always envisions and has a picture, a clear picture of the future. What's what's the big dream? Um, Well, I mean, our vision is called reinventing happy hour. Mm. So however you celebrate happy hour is however we want to create a product for you. So whether that's an alcoholic beverage or a cannabis related product or a um, a non-alcoholic type of drink, you know, we're just in the beverage space. So that's kind of what, you know, our deal is, but maybe we make popsicles or maybe we make, you know, whatever. We can do all kinds of things. We can do non-alcoholic drinks. We can make kombucha, saffron milk. You know, we could do all kinds of healthy types of things as well. So, um, you know, they're just different occasions, different products. Um, You know, all of those things are in our R&D bucket um, moving forward. And so I think that's what's in store for us here at Buzzball Southern Champion. That's a lot of exciting things to solve, especially, you know, as from a social and cultural standpoint, as things evolve, um, especially, you know, post COVID, uh, there's going to be so many new opportunities that will come about. Um, you know, what, where do you draw your daily inspiration from? You know, what's the daily habit that keeps you grounded in the midst of all of these responsibilities and big vision and, you know, taking care of everyone else? Um, I think, you know, uh, you know, my, my routine is coffee and phone and email and all those things first thing in the morning to last thing at night. Um, but you know, I, I draw my inspiration from creating, I like Mm. to create something out of nothing. You know, it's fun for me. You know, I have dreams at night. I, uh, think of things, um, you know, oh, I want to write a movie about this, or I want to. Um, you know, fix the world's plastic problem, or I want to, 
you know, just it doesn't matter what it is. It's going to be something big and it's going to be something fun. And, and, uh, to me, it's, it's legendary stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, for me, it's fun. Dreaming big and making it happen. (laughs) Yeah. And just following that dream, visualizing it and seeing it going and making it happen is exciting. Yes. Sometimes I look out over my warehouse with, with my sons and we look out over it and we look at all this equipment, manufacturing capacity and buildings and, the way our bar looks here, you know, just for tours and hospitality. And we look around and go, oh my gosh, look at what we built. It's like it, you know, people go, how did you do this? And it, it, it's not like it happened overnight. It happened over a series of, you know, 10, 12 years. So it's just kind of fantastic to look at now. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, it's, it's been inspirational to see your journey and all of your successes and especially an honor to be part of the same Ernst & Young entrepreneurial community. And we've all learned so much and given so much back. If you had a billboard, what message would you want to put on it? For my product? No, to inspire others from your journey and from your story. Ooh, Probably, you know, I mean, it sounds cliche, either dream big or um, make it happen or something like that, you know, just those kinds of inspirational things. I think um, if, if, I mean, it sounds silly. Remember that movie, Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come, you know, it's that kind of thing. People don't know what they want until they see it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you create something and they're like, oh, I have to have that, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's just kind of innovation and fun stuff, you know, and I just encourage people to go out there, reach out and just do it, you know, go out and, and charge hard and go get it. Know the best, know the most about your topic and what you want to do. One other thing I would um, just advise women for anybody, not just women, but, you know, be able to describe what you do in five words or less. Mm. Um, many times I meet women and, um, they spend 10 minutes trying to tell me what they do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, you mentioned Ernst and Young. That was one of the things, uh, one of the learnings I got out of that was get your pitch down. You know, I make (laughs) booze. That's the short and sweet (laughs) of it. I make booze. That's less than five words. So people know what I do, but you know, I merely kick come from Dallas, Texas. I, own Buzzball Southern Champion. It's an alcohol manufacturing company that creates um, buzzballs, little cocktails that sell in liquor stores, convenience stores, drug stores, uh, liquor store, you know, et cetera, in, in, 50, in 50 states and 21 countries, you know, those kinds of things. So be able to get your pitch down so that when you talk to somebody, within one minute, they know who you are and what you do. And therefore, how what they can do for you, and you know, also knowing how what to ask for help. Absolutely, you know, I think that a lot of women struggle there; they get stuck there, and it's mm. like, you know, I do this and I do a little of that, and then somebody goes, "Wait, are you saying that you do X Y?" No, I don't do that. I just do this, you know. And it's like if you get a whole bunch of questions on people trying to explain what what they do, then right, you know, they need to work on it. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, one of the things that seems so um, basic, but like when you're meeting people being very clear, not only about what you do, but standing out with that and also knowing, you know, being clear about what you need in order to get ahead. Uh, you know, that elevator experience, if, if you have one minute with someone and they asked you, how can I help? And you have no answer. It's such a huge missed opportunity. And I yeah. think, you know, the EY community has been terrific in being able to learn some of those things to differentiate that. A lot of times, too, women um, don't ask questions of the other person. They just like to talk. Mm. And so, you know, not only will I give you my elevator pitch, but I want to hear yours and I want to hear what you do. And, I, you know, we may have something in common, some synergies there that we need to grow together. I sat next to uh, one of the VPs of 7-Eleven at a Dallas Regional Chamber of Commerce luncheon. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was like, I make buzz balls. Oh, you make buzz balls? I'm the head of 7-Eleven buying, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I know you guys sell a lot of the buzz balls. He was like, yeah, you guys, you have a kick-ass brand. You know, it's awesome. And I'm like, well, you know, we'd love to make you a private label brand for you too. Okay. So within six months, we've built Sip Sip Hooray and that's selling in 7-Eleven, you know, so just from that one meeting. Wow. You know, so um, you can grow your business, but you can do something for them too and, right. and learn who they are. Right. Well, ask great questions, listen in, and then take massive action. So, mm -hmm. Early, this has been so fantastic to not only hear your inspirational story of taking an idea and within nine months launching it, building it over the past decade with your family, going places and reinventing happy hour and bringing joy into the world and these incredible creations. What an inspirational story. So thank, thank you, you for being on our show and um, good luck to everything you're going to keep doing and dominating in the world and inspiring everyone else to follow along. Thanks, Nikki. Good luck to you too. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.